the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Hi, friends. Welcome to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. Our podcast, wherever it is you find your podcast, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. We are glad to have you joining us today. Uh, It is the day before Halloween. You know what I learned from my wife, at least, is that when I where I grew up in New Jersey, the day before Halloween, everybody knew it was called Mischief Night. That's not what it's called in Detroit. What's it called in Detroit? It's called Devil's Night. Devil's Night. Yeah. So my wife had no concept of any of it. And then I looked up and like New Jersey was the only place where it's called Mischief Night. I had the same experience, actually, when I moved here in 2003 to attend Judson. It was the night before, and I was like, hey, um, we, do we got to go move our cars? And everyone's like, what do you move your cars? I was like, it's, it's devil's night. People flip cars and set them on fire. And everyone in the room was like, bro, we're not all from Detroit. <laughs> I was like, y'all don't do that here? And they're like, mm, no, your cars are fine in Elgin, Illinois. So okay. she said, we are going to go flip cars. <laughs> I was like, cool, they won't be suspecting it at all. Yeah, in Jersey, it was mischief night where like houses got egged and and mailboxes got knocked yeah, over. Yeah, same kind and, of stuff. Yeah, you know, TP this. And so I was, I came. I remember coming out here and be like, oh, like kind of like you. Oh, it's mischief night. And then I was asking Carrie about it, and she's like, yeah, I've never heard of that. She's like, okay. I said, okay. Well, we're not in Jersey anymore. <laughs> I think this is why we get along. It's the it's the Detroit Jersey Detroit, Detroit Jersey connection. connection. Yes. <laughs> now the two poor cities. <laughs> Good point. The other weird thing is with tomorrow being Halloween, I also remember when we first, uh, when Carrie and I, my wife first started talking, she grew up in Wisconsin, just outside Milwaukee. Uh, they wouldn't go trick or treating on Halloween. It was always for like a two or three hour window on a Sunday afternoon. No kidding. Like me, I don't know if it was the Sunday closest to Halloween or it was always the Sunday before. And I was like, so you didn't go out on the 31st? He's like, no, only if it landed on a Sunday. Really? And it was only like literally the whole town. It was like from two to five. And I was like, man, we used to wait till it was dark yes. and then we went out. <laughs> I would go. I mean, I a couple of years when I was a kid, uh, I would have a, a two-part costume so I could re-hit up the houses that were given out king size. <laughs> I would like put a mask on and like underneath my one costume and be another costume so you could re-hit up the houses that were given out the king size. Yeah, that was – I would I'd be out all night. <laughs> that is awesome. Like I really feel like I know you. Nope, nope. Uh, no, no, no. Just put the candy in the bag. Yeah. I do have to say though, and I, you know, our kids aren't trick-or-treating or anything yet, but – it seems like there's a lot more pre-Halloween activities now, uh, and it's not even – like I just saw someone post yesterday. They're like, I already have 16 tons of candy in my living room, and they haven't even gone trick-or-treating yet because there's a trunk-or-treat thing here. It's the trunk-or-treat. The pumpkin patch thing there. Yes. Uh, is that normal? Is that how it I was when we were kids? New, no, not at all. I'd never heard of the trunk-or-treat before I came out here, but 
I do feel like you just said your kids aren't trick-or-treating yet. That's a big miss on your end. You need to dress them up tomorrow. You need to dress them up tomorrow. That is free candy for you, my man. I don't, I don't want it. Also, I could buy a bag of candy at Meyer for $6. Yeah, or you could walk to your neighbor's house and get it for free. I'm learning so much about your relationship with money, Brian. My relationship with money and candy. Yeah, right. I will also, the same. You'll also learn as your kid gets older, there's something I call tell my kids that's very clear. It's called the dad tax. Yeah, that's. And, uh, I mean, this is legitimate. This is a real thing. Okay, good. It's in the Bible. It's in the Bible. <laughs> when going out on the night after Devil's Night, it's a part, it part of the <laughs> part of the priestly tax. I think is also don't forget dad tax and don't you dare put a mounds in there. No one needs no, that. No, no one needs that garbage. Thank you. See, I knew we were friends for a reason. <laughs> oh, the mounds bar. Yeah. So anyway, Get tomorrow out of here. I'd love to know. That'd be a funny thing to. Like, gauge the audience. Uh, what's the candy you hate most? Yep, mounds is up there. Yeah. Anything with coconut. Um, is mounds coconut? No. Yeah. yeah, yeah not even real so. coconut, though. I would also, this is going to be super unpopular. I would add Twizzlers to the mix. No, I love Twizzlers. Ugh. I love, uh, not black Twizzlers. The red Twizzlers. I love I the black. I can do that. Really? Yep. Black jelly beans, good and plenties. I like that flavor. Oh, I throw out all black jelly beans, all black, good and plenty. Give them to me. <laughs> I Bring will. them to me. <laughs> I will. Well, tomorrow's Halloween, we hope. Uh, hope the snow holds off. It's like supposed to be freezing. That's a sad sentence. This is where uh, this is where it separates the mice from the men right here. Who's going out on Halloween if it snows? <laughs> Brian Fromm will be out there. I will be. <laughs> partially because I have to, but partially because I want to maximize our candy <laughs> intake. Well, I was watching the Today Show uh, yesterday and this morning as well. It's kind of my thing. I like to uh, watch the beginning portion of the Today Show, see what's going on in the world. And I don't know if you saw any of the coverage about these wildfires going across California. And they feel like they're happening on more of a regular basis in the last couple of years. Maybe I'm just realizing them. Uh, but there are two major wildfires across California. One burned near Los Angeles, causing thousands of California residents to evacuate their home. They're called the one of them's the Kincaid Fire. And uh it's amazing that they are just uh, taking out uh, portions that are as big as like one one of the reports I saw. It said uh, it is the size of the city of Baltimore. And I was oh, like, gosh, oh, my gosh, bonkers. And you see these videos of people driving, trying to get away. And it's like walls of fire on the side. And part of what is making this crazy and unprecedented is because. Uh, in the words of Al Roker this morning, they were having winds. So you've got fire and it's dry. They were having category two level hurricane winds oh my blowing these things. And so it was I'm not trying to be punny here. It was the perfect storm yeah, uh, to cause major fire and weather conditions. And I remember having a friend on Facebook a couple years ago when the fire went through California, a different time who lost his home. Uh, you know, people are losing their homes and their structures and uh, trying to just get away. Uh, and so our prayers are with those people. Yes. Uh, and, and they were saying as of now, this is a little bit older, but like as of Monday or Tuesday, the Kincaid fire was only 5% contained. Oh my I know they're starting to get much more of a handle on it now, but things can get back up and they can shift. Uh, and, and so it got me thinking as I was watching this, you were listening to people talk about like, we only had, as they came around with megaphone going, evacuate, evacuate. It's literally right, how they right. did it. They're like, we had like five minutes to choose. What are we taking? Right. Like, what can we stuff into our car? Ten minutes. What are we going to stuff into our car? Because thankfully, most people didn't try to wait it out. Like, that's yeah. a bad idea. Um, and again, it's a bit of a heavy topic, but it did get me thinking, what if you had that kind of time? Like, they said, hey, you got to go. 
obviously your wife and kids and you know they're going to be in the car but what are you stuffing in what are the things that that you are trying to hold on to and the things that you might go this breaks my heart but i gotta leave them like yeah. I, I gotta let them and if it hopefully the fire doesn't get us but if it does it does well, you know, historically, that answer always was the photo album, right? Mm-hmm. That's But so much of our lives are digital now. Oh, that's fascinating. That even thinking about, I mean, my wife has been so good about making photo albums, you know, for both of our kids. But all of that's based on f- photos from her phone. Mm. So, like, even if it all went up right now, like, all of that would be stored in the cloud. We'd have access to those photos again. Like, that is fascinating. Those, Normally, the first answer is go get the photo That's albums. right. I don't think that's the first answer anymore. I'd be curious to know what people would say because I have a couple of, like, for me – some of the some of them are like cards I've kept since childhood, like a note from my dad or my mom or from my grandma. You know, I have notes from grandparents, uh, some of whom aren't living anymore, like that kind of stuff. Again, are things that I could scan and I could keep digitally somewhere. Yeah. Uh, I haven't. Maybe I need to. <laughs> now that I it, think about it. It would be something like that, though, some kind of like keepsake, something that someone close to me gave to me and has a lot of significance. There are probably a couple of things that would fit in that category, but they're all kind of in the same box. I would just probably grab that box you know uh, it's just such a it's such a daunting thought right like we see it when hurricanes are coming but these fires especially to have that thought of like what what is so important to me that i'm going to go grab it right, right now right. what am i going to get what's also really telling is how many things when i thought about that this morning where i went there's not a lot in that list yeah like, as long as right. my kids are in that car totally. my wife is in a car my dog is in that totally. car like we'll get by again we have like a fire box downstairs i'd go grab it ironically because it's supposed to survive a fire but i'd probably still take it because it's got you know the oh. important documents like that's that. a sermon illustration right there you'd still go get the box designed to protect things from fire that'd be the thing you go get i would because i'm not sure i trust it and it's got so why have it i don't know it's a good <laughs> question in case i can't get to it right but that's got like important documents and also when our oldest daughter was a baby it was before you put everything on your phone and stuff so we do have oh. like it's funny. We have little video cassettes from her birth going through like her first couple years. You got to digitize that stuff, man. I really do. Yeah. Now that you're saying this, leave I really here and go do, do it. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> uh, anyway, be praying for those people across California. They are in our thoughts and prayers. But also, it's an interesting thought. What holds ultimate value for you? Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about an article in Christianity Today about micro churches and are these the wave of the future? That's next here on the Common Good AM 1160. Hope for your life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AIM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you joining us today. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show. Or find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. Uh, go ahead, subscribe, rate, review, uh, and then, you know, listen to it. <laughs> I did have someone tell me the other day, I have so many of your podcasts backed up to listen to. I was like, well, the answer could be to listen to it. <laughs> Are all your recommendations passive aggressive? Is that <laughs> well? You know what? You could uh, listen Press to it. Play. We we appreciate the subscription. Yeah, it was an old friend of mine. It was very funny. Um, but yeah, we're grateful for those of you who do listen. Uh, the The cover story at Christianity Today uh, highlights a guy that I believe you're you know. Uh, and also we've had on the show a long time ago, but it does raise some interesting questions. That's why I wanted to bring it, but you could, we could give the background. Uh, it focuses on something called cast member church. Remind us again who, who the person is behind cast member church and what makes it unique. So his name's Stephen Barr, Stephen Barr. and uh, long story short, he's a part of the Disney universe. 
Right. So apparently a lot of people that are on staff or part of his church are involved in Disney in some capacity. Doesn't necessarily mean they're all, you know, like actors in the theme parks, but right. they all like play a role in some capacity. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Though. That's a lot of his target demographic. Yeah. In fact, I was reading this article. It's pretty long, but you can find it at ChristianityToday.com. Uh, it's called Microchurch. Uh, meet the mini church. Get it? The mini church. Got it. M-I-N-N-I-E. Uh, way to go, Christianity Today, with that one, the title. Uh, but you can uh, find the article there. But <clears throat> he's really fascinating. And we had him on, and he was great. I remember joking with him, we're going to come do remote from your church. Uh, but uh, he's fascinating. We should have him on again soon. But uh, one thing that makes his church fascinating is he uh, categorically says in this article, only people from the Disney cast can be there. Like, nobody else can come to their church. Like, you can't be from, like, the greater Orlando area and be like, I want to go to cast member church. Oh, really? In fact, somebody asked him about, if you work at Universal, can you go there? And you know how he answered it? You know what? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, By the way, they do say in here that that Disney itself, the Disney property, is as large, has as many people on it working as the city of Akron. Ohio. No kidding. And so, yeah, you lose that. But what this begins to then ask is this concept. The, the reason I want to talk about this article is then it it steps back and talks about the micro churches. Basically, a church that is the rise in church plants right now that are, yes, most church plants are to an area or to a community, but there's been this rise of church plants that are two specific groups of people. And so they reference in here churches that are like literally at offices, like we're trying to reach this particular corporation. Uh, There's one in here referenced as soccer church, all these people like who have soccer games on Sundays Mm. and this and that. And uh, here's what, here's one of the questions they ask in here. It says, is a church still a church if it's so demographically focused? Cast member church is fairly narrow. The homogeneous unit principle of church growth theory at its extreme that apart from the core leadership, cast member church, uh, almost everyone is within five years in age. Most of them live in the same apartment complexes. And of course, they all work for the same boss. How similar can a congregation be before running afoul of Paul's warning to the Corinthians that they should not be all be one body part. A fascinating question as this is kind of the next wave, you know, they always say people who plant churches there's kind of this entrepreneur spirit. You work with a lot of them who are kind of trying to think of new ways to start churches and reach people for Jesus. As you kind of scan this, I'm curious your thoughts uh on this uh on this kind of rise of the micro church and if it's something you guys have thought of even at New Thing and at Community you know, it's tricky because I remember even at Poplar when we were thinking through uh, like a new mission, vision, value statement for the church, uh, I was surprised at how often and how many people wanted the words everyone to be in it. Mm. Like, ah, church for everyone. Yeah. And I said finally, like, we're actually not a church for everyone. Mm. And I think the sooner that we understand that, the better off we'll be. In fact, I think that's okay. I think that sometimes it can feel like like lazy vision to say, and obviously everyone is welcome. That's totally different. But to say, it's sort of like, you know, when you talk to bands, like, oh, who's your music for? Anyone. It's for for anyone. Well, think through exactly who you actually want this to be for. I I wonder if this expression is maybe too specific, but when you give the numbers, you know, Walt Disney World has 70,000 employees. Yeah. Like, 
you're, that's certainly a a large enough demographic to have some kind of specificity. Like, nope, this is the this is a church for people that are from this universe. It's not all that different from saying this is this is a Spanish speaking church. Mm. This is it. You know what I mean? Like, there's some specificity mm-hmm. to knowing who God has laid in your heart. Um, I I do I am curious how they would like how they would handle someone coming, how they would verify, like, oh, wait a minute. Yeah. Do you have to show your staff ID? I wonder, because it says we don't welcome people who are here on vacation. Right. Like, he's very specific on this, which is, which is, he he apparently, and I remember him talking about this when we had him on, he worked at Disney World for a long time. This guy loves Disney World. Yes. And uh, And he wrote a book about it. The book's pretty good. that's right. That's why we had him on. That's Uh right. I forgot about that. Uh, And that's why he said he wants to reach Disney World. He loves uh, Disney World, and so uh, that's where he goes for uh, it's. Uh, and so it does become interesting. I love what you talked about there. Now you got my mind racing because we probably at our church even use language of we want to reach everybody in this area yeah. in this community, which is true but unrealistic. And so I wonder if churches that are more specific are actually finding uh, greater success. And I don't mean success by growth. I mean like right. in hitting their mission, what they're trying to – they believe God has called them to. That's a better way to say it. Yeah. I think that's true. I think clarity of vision is so much harder than people think it is. Yeah. Because I, I agree with that. And I remember part of my – I'm having like a flashback. I remember saying to our elders, if our, if our vision statement sounds no different from the 10 churches closest to us, mm. why don't we just join them? Like has wow. God given us – a unique vision and call and task here in this city, in this place. Because if not, well, let's all say that out loud then. But there was a general like, okay, so who's, how do they say theirs and how do they say theirs? Sometimes it can become, so, it, it can feel like a lot of pressure to have like this like sexy, slick, looks good on a website, make it on a so t-shirt. True. I get all that pressure. And, that, and that's a very real thing because people checking out churches, yep. a lot of them, the front door is the website. So they're, you know, they're clicking online and they're like, oh, do I like the way that reads, am I into that? So there is a lot of, you know, marketing to think through in that regard. But I think the more important thing than like the correct verbiage is, all right, what is what is uniquely ours? What yeah. has God laid on on our heart? And it sounds like Pastor Barr has figured that out. And you yeah. and I don't even necessarily need to, you know, get it. It's yeah, not maybe not a good for point. us to get. Or like critique, he's, right, he's, right. He's got his laser focus on a particular demographic that he didn't feel like was being reached. He said, no, those are my people. That's yep. that's what we're going after, and I'm not going to be distracted by anything else. It's really interesting. They're, in the article, they point out that they've always sent things like Campus Crusade or InterVarsity. Those were always things that were sent into Disney World, right, by churches. And he's basically saying, nope, I'm just going. And, uh, man, this guy, talk about laser focus. Uh, we need to have him back on, mostly because he was just fun. Yeah, let's do it. I, I remember mean. that book. He wrote a book about... Uh, his Disney World church. And so uh, his name is Stephen Barr. Uh-huh. Okay. B-A-R-R. would encourage you to check him out. We're yeah, going to put pl- this. Plus, it also has the population of Canton, not Akron. I wanted to shout out to my. Yeah, but feels like Canton. Ohio Akron are probably close. <laughs> 70,000 employees. That in 40 square miles. That it's as big as Miami or San Francisco. That's crazy. Wow. So they make the point. So cast member church is fishing in a massive lake. We will put this uh, up on our Facebook page. If it's not there already, we would love to hear your feedback and your thoughts on not just a, a cast member church, but just this idea of micro churches in general. Well, Free and Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You are listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life.
Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life, alongside Ian Simpkins. My name is Brian Fromm. Ian is waving to nobody in particular at the moment. Just saying hi to all of you out there. We're glad that you're joining us. Join us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. You can also join us uh, on Twitter at Common Good Talk and find our podcast wherever it is you get your podcast. So uh, we are going to talk about something we've never really talked about here in our nine or ten months together. First of all, can you believe it's been like ten months? I can't believe it, I can't believe it. I cannot. I'm just going to sit here and try to believe it. But right Mm. now I can't believe it. Uh, We are going to talk about beer. And uh, if, if this was uh, if this was at the end of our show, there would be many a Simpson drop right now. Uh-huh. Uh, but did you uh, let me ask you this question? Did you grow up in a tradition in a home or in a church where beer was like completely stay away from it? Uh, how do I answer this? Question? Or am I going to get you in trouble? <laughs> let, me, let me think through my response. <laughs> I'll start by saying I Good grew idea. up in like that. OK, uh, in a home <laughs> and in a church. I went to a college. Uh, where uh, where the consumption of beer, let's just say, was not the norm. Um, and so, are you ready to answer the question, or, <laughs> you, or do you plead the fifth? No, we yeah, we didn't really have alcohol in the house, other than you know the occasional bottle of wine. Uh, but like my grandma, I think she'd be fine with me sharing this. She's a bit of a beer enthusiast. Your grandma is she, yes, um, <laughs> that's awesome. And she, in fact, so they moved to Arizona decades ago, but she keeps to this day still a frosted mug in the freezer of like her 10 closest friends homes so that anytime she's there there's a frosted mug waiting for her <laughs> like, literally bought like a dozen home. of them and then brought them to the houses like here keep this in your freezer that is some planning yes your grandma thinking that through uh-huh very much so the beginning of this article says at relevant magazine christians and beer have a complicated relationship <laughs> in recent decades many conservative evangelical camps have deemed alcohol consumption to be a cultural no-no relegating it somewhere between church taboo and sinful behavior. However, craft beer in Christianity is making a comeback as a new generation is now setting their own rules for the church. However, abstinence wasn't from alcohol was not always the norm in Christian communities. Uh, for centuries, alcohol, especially intricately crafted beer, was a major part of life, even for devout believers. Even from devout home. believers? Yeah, I know. Boy, Can oh you boy. believe it? Uh, and so this article that takes kind of a funny turn and gives us five of Christian culture's most famous beer enthusiasts. <laughs> and so we want to have that conversation of people like, if you think that beer is sinful, why? Like, if you could justify it and you believe it, more power to you. Uh, and uh, But it is weird how this feels like alcohol. Before we jump into the five names, it does feel like alcohol uh, it's been such a generational thing in the church that almost the pendulum has swung uncomfortably too far the other way. Hmm. And uh, but it's just this is one of them where, man, it really feels like it has switched. All right. Do you want to go with these? The top five? Yeah, let's do it. Five of Christian culture's most famous beer enthusiasts. Go ahead. All right. First is Arthur Guinness, the beer mogul. The man behind the world's most famous stout was also a devout Christian. Inspired by a sermon from John Wesley, Arthur Guinness uh, decided to turn his brewery uh, and his brand into a force for good. As Stephen Mansfield explains in his book, The Search for God and Guinness, the beer mogul whose beverage was seen as a safe alternative to the hard stuff prevalent throughout Ireland and England at the time, founded some of the country's first Sunday schools and gave generously to the poor. Did you know any of that? None of it. I had no idea. None of it. Number two, Martin Luther, the home brewer. 
The father of the Reformation also happened to be an enthusiastic home brewer. The sharp-tongued reformer was a prolific writer, and his love of beer, especially ones made at, at his home by his wife, frequently showed up in his letters and his correspondence. After two of his buddies graduated from theology school, Luther threw a party, asking friends to bring food because, quote, one must not depend on beer alone, <laughs> of which my Katie has brewed 14 tons. T-U-N-S. I can't be like tons. T-O-N-S. There's no way. I can't be. <laughs> In which she has put 32 bushels of malt to sweet my taste. She hopes it may be good. You will judge for yourself when you taste it. It sounds like a real rager. That's Martin Luther for you. I think he said to suit my taste. What did I say? Sweet. Oh, there you go. <laughs> I'm going with suit. <laughs> All right. What's next? The Trappist Monks, the world's best beer makers. I am inclined to agree, actually. The centuries-old Roman Catholic uh, monastic order of Cistercians Cistercians of the strict observance are not only known for quiet contemplation and devotion to God, they are also famous for making some of the world's most famous beers. In order to raise funds to support their monasteries, several several brew their own brands of highly sought-after beers on-site with beer recipes that have been uh, honed for centuries. I don't know if you're a Trappist guy or not. Maybe you don't want to say on air. I don't even know what the Trappists are. What? No. Oh, we need to have an offline conversation then. Why offline is it? It's it's probably best then. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I look forward to learning. (laughs) Go home today, I'm a Trappist guy. (laughs) I'm a Trappist guy. Yeah, try that. See how it goes. It's number four, Samuel Adams, the Patriot Malster. Like many America's founding fathers, Samuel Adams was outspoken about his faith and frequently wrote of his virtues of Christianity. Uh, of the virtues of Christianity. As the governor of Massachusetts, he issued a proclamation for a day of public fasting, humiliation, and prayer, uh, saying that with true repentance and contrition of heart, we may unitedly implore the forgiveness of our sins through the merits of Jesus Christ and humbly supplicate our Heavenly Father to grant us the aids of his grace for the amendment of our hearts and lives and vouchsafe his smiles upon our temporal concerns. That is quite a sentence. <laughs> Some of his final words were principally, and first of all, I resign my soul to the almighty being who gave it and my body I commit to the dust, relying on the merits of Jesus Christ for the pardon of my sin. Hmm. But perhaps even more than his faith or acts of nation founding, Sam Adams is most associated with a different achievement, beer. The Sam Adams Boston Beer Company, one of America's biggest beer makers, is named after the real guy who came from a famous family for their hand in early American beer making. Like his father, who was a minister, Adams was a malster running a business providing an essential ingredient in beer. I want to start saying malt, maltster. I'm a maltster. I'm a maltster. Are you uh, are you drinking? Well, I am a maltster. <laughs> I'm, I'm over here. All right. I'm a Last maltster. but not least, C.S. Lewis, the bar hopper, the man who wrote some of Christian culture's most popular books, frequently sought inspiration in a seemingly unlikely place, the pub, whether it was meeting his fellow Inklings, a group of Oxford writers that also include J.R.R. Tolkien, were trying... Trying? Trying a few on at lunch. Lewis was a frequenter at local bars. He was also no fan of legalism in Christianity surrounding the practice. He wrote, I do, however, strongly object to the tyrannical and unscriptural insolence of anything that calls itself a church and makes teetotalism a condition of membership. Don't they realize that Christianity arose in the Mediterranean world where, then as now, wine was as much a part of the normal diet as bread? That will preach you got lewis right there in mere christianity he wrote an individual christian may see fit to give up all sorts of things for special reasons 
marriage or meat or beer or the cinema. But the moment he starts saying the things are bad in themselves or looking down his nose at other people who use them, he has taken the wrong turning. Man, C.S. Lewis, there's a reason that he sticks by, right? People keep going. Uh, in the 30 seconds, the minute we have left, what do you say as a pastor to people who are like, I think I think it's sinful? Is it like, oh, well, then don't partake? Or do you engage that conversation? It depends on the relationship. Okay. It depends on if they want to engage. Uh, there are plenty of people like, I, I'm just not comfortable with it. I would say, that's fine. Yeah. I, I think the Apostle Paul even speaks to those types of convictions. Like, okay. For you, it's to not eat meat. That's fine. Like, don't you know? Then don't do it. Then then don't do it. I do. I do think it's a. It is a different conversation entirely. If somebody wants to bring a charge against someone like this, mm-hmm. you know, Pastor So and So had a mai tai. Like, <laughs> yeah. So then that's a different. That's a different level of engagement, especially if someone's wanting to make an accusation. That's good. Um, which is that gets tricky for sure. And I think definitely people have to do their own reading and research, and you know listen to the convictions and leadership of their church. But yeah, I think it's an important conversation with having. Absolutely. Well, coming up next, we're going to talk about a court case that has been going on in Texas. That'll be our conversation next year on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Uh, glad to have you joining us on this Wednesday afternoon. Uh, you know, sometimes you read headlines to stories and you go, "I okay, we're going to give this one a read and see what it's all about. Uh, and so the headline of this story that's been all over the news as of late is this. Texas judge gives dad rights over seven-year-old son's gender transition. So let me just read the article uh, and then let's jump in on it. Uh, a judge decided this week that the parents to a seven-year-old boy, James, must make joint decisions about their son's medical care, particularly regarding his gender identity. According to LifeSite News, Judge Kim Cooks of the 255th District in Texas ruled that Jeffrey Younger, the boy's father, and Dr. Ann Garagulas, the boy's mother, will both have a say in James's medical decisions. Uh, Garagulas, I'm totally saying that wrong, but we, now we got now we got to go with it. Yeah, you're committed now, man. It might be just Georgulas. I'm not sure. <laughs> Wants to continue to transition James to a girl named Luna by using puberty blockers. While Younger has said he wants to take a wait-and-see approach, the couple is divorced. Uh, the mom has enrolled James in school under the name Luna and as a female student since kindergarten. According to reports, she started telling James that he was a girl as soon as he was three when she says he showed interest in a McDonald's toy meant for girls. Younger, however, said that James identifies as a boy when he is with his father. Oh, wow. James's mother also visited a medical transition clinic in Dallas to consider hormone suppression therapy in the gender-affirming care program for youth. Uh, the medical clinic said it would not allow the boy to start puberty blockers until Younger agreed. Uh, previously, the mom had exclusive rights to make decisions for James and his twin brother, Jude. Younger filed a counterpetition asking for sole managing conservatorship that would give him exclusive decision-making rights. The jury ruled this week in an 11-1 decision to deny Younger's request. Younger can still appeal the decision and seek sole custody. Republican Texas Governor Greg Abbott said Wednesday that the Texas Attorney General and the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services were investigating the case of James Younger. Senator Ted Cruz said the jury decision was horrifying and tragic and that the mom's plans were tantamount to child abuse. So there's just so much in that story. That is a hard story. When I read it, I was like, man, I feel like we need to tackle this. Um, 
there's a couple different routes that that get me in that one as a dad. But uh, what what stands out to you in the in that story? I, honestly, I would first love to know why you felt we needed to tackle it. Like, what about this story stood out to you? This is a story that you you had seen first. Yep, and had some sense of all right. This is important for us to tackle. I'd I'd be really curious like, to know why. What are you doing to me? <laughs> no, I'm just really I'm curious. What about it? As a pastor, as a father, as a husband, were you like, okay, this is this is something that we need to tackle? Uh, yeah. So for me, honestly, uh, the story made me really sad. It just saddened me through uh, and through the whole story. It does. I think the cultural uh, ramifications of a story like this. Uh, to be honest with you, and this is going to be somewhat surprising for me, the heartbreak of this story uh, is the gender transition of a seven-year-old. Like, like there's so much to be talked about there, but it's also the painful, um, uh, the painfulness of divorce. Like this is in some ways a divorce story for me that like, and, and the pain it causes uh, and so I know it probably comes across, you read a story like this and it's like, we must stand up against gender transition. I think there are serious cultural problems here with a seven year old hmm. and the parents deciding no one parent going, it's a girl, one parent going, he's a boy. Uh, the, the kid is obviously confused depending on which parent's house it's at. To me, the, one of the great tragedies is that this is an extreme example of what so many families go through with divorce, with kids kind of caught in the middle. Right. And it really makes me sad. That was the first thing, honestly, that stood out to me even mm. before the gender stuff. The gender stuff to me is really culturally dangerous and sad at a seven-year-old that it was first being talked about at three years old. Like, we've got kids that – I had kids. You've got a kid around that age. Like, yeah. what are you making decisions at three years old at anything for your child? Yeah. Um, but yeah, also just the heartbreak of divorce to me is is kid being caught in the middle of a messy divorce is is right in that middle of that story, which has got to raise all sorts of other bizarre questions. And I imagine even if it's not a gender identity conversation, but parents who have been divorced, I imagine have had the same types of arguments. One says R-rated movies are fine, the other right. says absolutely not. One says sugar after six. One says <laughs> yes. you you can quit karate, and the other saying no, you have to keep. I mean that. That feels so tumultuous on so many levels that I, I can't even – like the pain of even having this go before a judge in the first place mm. has got to be so painful and so traumatizing for all the parties involved that they – you know, like that would – that part breaks my heart a lot. And it is curious to me because Owen just turned two. So there's a – thinking about having – thinking about him even being aware of these things exactly. a year from now is – very foreign to me and maybe I'll be singing a different tune a year from now you know we're like wow he sees and observes way more than I give him credit for but I don't know there there is a a real a real heartache to see even the parents say no he behaves this way with me and he behaves this way with you and how much of that is is just being projected onto him and how much of that is him trying to uh, appease his parents how much how much of that is like true original internal thought and right like there's so many other factors and variables and again seven seven's what second grade third grade seven is probably no seven is uh first grade golly first grade that's i mean i i think yeah i don't even know that i have memories that far back i'm trying to think what what this like i'm curious and heartbroken to think about how will this kid be talking about this 10 years from now Mm. when he's 17 how how will his memories 
look uh, with regards to how all of this went down. Like yeah. that to me is heartbreaking. It's just so hard. Cause my son, who is now twelve, like he's got two sisters. Uh, when he was three and four years old, he played with dolls with his sister. We encouraged it. Like, go yeah, ahead. Yeah, right. it's fun. It wasn't a referendum on, on what right. he wanted to be, and nor should it have been uh, that placed upon him. And that's why this story, like this this poor kid just caught in the middle. And, man, if we as a culture are even considering going down the road of letting five, six, seven, eight-year-olds right. take puberty blockers – and make these sort of parents make these sort of sort of life altering decisions at this young of an age. I know that is just so um, dangerous and sad, and uh, but is also it's it's a it's a window into what's going on in some places in our culture, and you know. Yeah, there's so much in this story that really made me sad. And well, let, maybe, maybe I shouldn't just pick sad stories. But <laughs> yeah, no kidding, Brian. Let, let's take it out of the gender conversation. Though, are there other categories of things that you? would say, yeah, it's just seven's way too young to give a child that level of autonomy over. Or or the pressure of like to make lifelong decisions. Like I've, I see at even an earlier, earlier age, parents putting their pressure on their kids to be like, you're going to be a world renowned uh, violin player, or you're going to be a a major league baseball player. And all of a sudden they're in private line. You're like, let your kid be a kid. Like let alone at seven years old, uh, I knew parents who had their, their eight-year-old in like four different travel sports and this and that. Right. And my kids couldn't play with them because they were never home. And you're like, just let your kid. Right. Don't confuse them. Don't put your parent pressure on them. Let your kid be See, a kid. That's a really controversial take, though, because there are plenty of success stories where yes. somebody became a major league player or actor or musician. The whole tiger mom thing, right? With yeah, the, uh, right, musician. right. Yeah, I get it. But be, yeah, because of their parents' early commitment to making sure that they not only were involved in these things, but stuck it out when they wanted to quit, uh, I, I could see a parent really making a case. Like he doesn't, yep. he wants to do something new every 12 minutes. If I didn't keep him in violin or travel baseball, yep. he'd, he'd jump to the next thing and I'm trying to teach him discipline. Mm-hmm. But that is sort of inadvertently making a decision for the trajectory of your kid's life. It is. And that's tricky. It is. It's such a young age. Our kids, we're, we're forcing them in some ways in our culture to get older quicker. And uh, I that's guess true. I feel a desire to fight against that. Well, uh, very complicated story. Love to hear your feedback. Uh, coming up next, Kirk Franklin said some interesting uh, things after the Dove Awards that we're going to tackle next here on The Common Good. AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. It's time for a conversation about the things we share in common. Our common hopes, our common fears, our common struggles. Together, we'll wrestle with the questions that we all have about the issues that affect our lives. This is The Common Good. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Fromm and Ian Simpkins. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. My name is Brian Fromm, joined by Ian Simpkins. We are glad that you're joining us. Hopefully you're driving home from work, ready for a nice, relaxing evening at home. Uh, Or you're listening to the podcast, going around the grocery store. Do you ever listen to your podcast at the grocery store? It's one of my favorite places. I haven't grocery shopped in a while, but when I was in a rhythm of being our grocery shopper, yeah. I would love to put on a podcast and never. Kind of turn the world I can say out. with confidence. Never. Try it sometime. Go to the grocery store, line up a podcast. It's it's fun. I'm so bad at grocery shopping. I need to be as distraction-free as possible. That's interesting. I, I zigzag all over the store. I'm terrible. 
I, <laughs> now that you say that, I thought of something really funny from our marriage. I love you, like you and I, no, no, oh. my wife and I, my wife would give me the list. Like, here's what we need. And I would go. And it was like a game. Like I'm going to get everyone, but I would almost literally get nervous when I get home and she'd be like taking stuff out. Oh, like, yeah. She wasn't judging me. She wasn't checking, but I'm like, come on. Hundred percent. Come on. <laughs> it was still a question mark in your mind. <laughs> like, yeah, because you're like, I don't know if I got the right this. I you have if- the oh the right version of something. I get that right. Sure. You know, sometimes the loft. So uh, yeah, I don't know how we got on that podcast. Thank you for podcasting us. Uh, go ahead and subscribe, rate, review. Well, the Dove Awards. Uh, they are. How would you describe them? The Christian Grammys. Yeah. Uh, so they are the awards given to the best songs, best musicians uh, in the Christian world. And one of the most well-known Christian artists for the last, I don't even know how, what kind of time would you put, how long Kirk Franklin been on the scene? Decades. Decades. For last decades is Kirk Franklin. And Kirk Franklin came out uh, pretty strong yesterday uh, with a statement uh, about the Dove Awards and about some of the people behind the Dove Awards uh, and his uh, basically saying, I'm not going to be associated with them anymore. So what he said is, I don't know, three, three and a half minutes. We want to take a listen to it uh, and then uh, we are going to react and we uh, would love to have you uh, react with us. So here we go. Today, I feel like quitting. I am heartbroken that I even have to share this with you. In 2016, I was blessed to win an award for Best Gospel Artist at the Dove Awards. Many of you may not know the Dove Awards in comparison are the Christian Grammys, like the Stella Awards or the Gospel Grammys. For so long, the terms Christian and Gospel for many are code words for white and black, which history may teach us was a setup for this unfortunate place we find ourselves in today. During that reward speech, I felt the responsibility as a Christian and a man of color to address the civil unrest at that time that was plaguing our country with the killings of Philando Castile and Walter Scott, just to name a few, by white police officers. And at the same time, the horrific killings of five Dallas police officers by an African-American. I called upon the audience to join me in remembering that as Christians, when we say nothing, we're saying something. After a standing ovation, we prayed and stood in unity for all the families affected by those tragedies. We all felt that moment that it was a shift in the climate of our separate worlds. Unfortunately, when that speech aired on the Christian Network TBN, that part of my speech was edited out. I made my disappointment and frustration known to the Double Wards Committee and to the Trinity Broadcasting Network. I never heard from TBN. And the Devil War Committee promised to rectify the mistakes so that it wouldn't happen again. In 2019, history repeated itself. I was humbled to win the same award, and during my speech, I brought attention to the murder of a Tatiana Jefferson in her home by a white police officer. I asked everyone in the audience and those viewing to join me in prayer for not only a Tatiana's family, including her eight-year-old nephew who witnessed the killing but also for the family of the police officer. Last week, during the airing of the awards on the same network again, that part of my speech was edited out. So now, after a meeting with the Double Wards Committee and representatives of TBN, I've made the decision after prayer, consultation with my team, and my pastor, Dr. Tony Evans, 
to not attend any events affiliated with the For the Dove Awards, Gospel Music Association, or TBN until tangible plans are put in place to protect and champion diversity, especially where people of color have contributed their gifts, talents, and finances to help build the viability of these institutions. I am aware that the word boycott often has a negative connotation and finality to it. But my goal will forever be reconciliation as well as accountability. It is important for those in charge to be informed. Not only did they edit my speech, they edited the African-American experience. I'm not asking those in the gospel community to follow my decision. No, this is my personal choice to take a stand and hold responsible those in positions of power to acknowledge the issues in our separate communities that have existed from colonialism to Jim Crow. To many of the issues facing us today, I pray there will be a significant change from this hurtful experience. I look with anticipation for that day of healing and I'm committed to contributing to that process. In the end, We will not remember the words of our enemies, but the silence of our friends. There's a lot there, uh, a lot there in that statement. I'm wondering, um, you you were the one who who sent this our way, wondering what stood out to you about that. And then I'm going to read a little bit of the Gospel Music Association has come out with a statement as well. Yeah, there's a lot that stood out to me. I, I applaud him for speaking with that level of clarity and decorum and there's just a general, you know, it was originally a video. I wish we could, I wish you all could see the video because there's clearly like legitimate pain in what he's describing. And I appreciated that for him, even he's mentioning, you know, both sides of tragedies. He's yes. saying that the shootings of these young black men, but also the Dallas police. Yep. And he's also saying, I'm not asking anyone else to do what I'm doing. He's not, there's not an insurgence. He's not, you know what I mean? Like there is a general sense of like, this is just what I feel convicted to say and do Mm -hmm. and each of you needs to you know decide for yourself behave accordingly it it was really humbling to hear him say it's not just that my speech was edited it was is the editing of the african-american experience Mm -hmm. Uh, i think that was very profoundly stated for me in that moment and wondering how many of our brothers and sisters of color have experienced this a thousand times over maybe they're not receiving an award it's not on television but have experience that that kind of sort of editing of their voice or their experience or like to me it raised all sorts of other questions like he's a celebrity and so his experience is pretty unique but i wonder how many people that i know that i break bread with that i would call brothers and sisters how many of them would say yeah yeah i've also received i've I've been the receiving end of of treatment like this before and it just again it brings me to a place where I just want to learn. I want to listen, mm-hmm. you know. And I, I think things like this always going to do that to me. It was interesting the way he said powerfully. I'm not going to get it 100 percent correct here, but he basically said silence says something, right? Like anything where uh, I think it's a, it's an MLK Jr. quote. Oh, is that what that yeah. was? Okay. Yeah. Uh, I always that's really funny you say that because I was like, it sounds that rings of Martin Luther King Jr. Yeah. Uh, uh, Gospel Music Association President Jackie Patillo. Uh, responded this way. She admitted missteps occurred in the cutting of the 2019 broadcast to fit the two-hour telecast, but steered well clear of any suggestion of censorship. Said, we accept the responsibility of our error, although completely unintentional. We understand it caused great harm and deeply wounded many in the African-American and gospel community as well. It left a general perception that we are not concerned with key social issues. It is not our intent to disregard or silence any of our artists 
and we are deeply saddened by this perception, are committed to change it. They said they are currently working with Kirk Franklin to implement changes going forward. Wow. I mean, that's encouraging. That's encouraging. I, I think part of the frustration, though, whenever someone's like, oh, that wasn't my intent. You're like, that's almost as bad. Yeah. Be be intentional then. You know, like even in interpersonal arguments where someone's like, oh, I didn't intend to say this awful thing about you. You're like, well, you did, though. Yeah. So maybe be more intentional mm-hmm. rather than like, whoops, we didn't know yeah. that it would be perceived that way. Yeah. Twice in a row, too. Right. And so. Yeah, right. Uh, it, it's it, it raised interesting topic like. uh it makes you wonder, did the devil word say to their people beforehand, we don't want anything of political nature or, you know, because he he doesn't seem to suggest that. And so uh, I do, like you said, I also appreciate just his call to prayer across the spectrum and to do something uh, across the spectrum. He highlighted the the young men who had been shot. He highlighted the Dallas police, like you said, even uh, in the one of uh, what was her name, Tatiana Jefferson, I think her name was. Yeah. Like she was killed, but then he he called for prayer for the officer's family. Like yes, right. I thought it was very down the middle and and doing what we as Christians should do. Let's pray and let's be part of the solution. And so clearly some woundedness, but I don't know. Hopefully some good will come out of it. And I, I sure it, hope so. When man. it's highlighted by somebody like a Kirk Franklin, right? Hopefully it will cause conversation and some change uh, within the Christian community. Well, uh, that was powerful. Uh, hope that you thought so as well. Free and Simpkins, I'm Brian Fromm. You're listening to The Common Good, AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You can find us on Facebook at The Common Good Radio Show. That's The Common Good Radio Show on Twitter at Common Good Talk. And you can find our podcast wherever it is you find your podcast. Go ahead, subscribe, rate, review. And uh, we are grateful for those of you who do that. So we were joking earlier, but tomorrow is Halloween. And uh, how about for you as a kid, list uh, where on the hierarchy of holidays that you were excited about and look forward to? Where did Halloween fall in there? Oh, it was probably top five. Yeah. Right after Arbor Day. <laughs> nope. Maybe. No, you're, you're being sarcastic. No, I love trees, oh. man. Just a <laughs> metaphor. Really, it just goes down to my roots, I think. Stop it. <laughs> I'm going to go out on a limb here and say. I feel like you, you even though you didn't know I was going to ask you this question, I feel like you've had this in your back pocket. You want me just to leave it alone? <laughs> Don't worry, my bark is worse than my bite. We are going to chop this right now. Oh, boy. <laughs> we are going to axe this. So, uh, yeah, that that now you threw me off. What would be number one? Is it literally Christmas like everybody? <laughs> Everyone's is Christmas. It's the most like hipster that you've appeared to me. Thanksgiving. Oh, you like Christmas like everybody. Oh, I Ugh. like Christmas number one. Christmas number one for me. Yeah, it's, it's neck and neck, though. I really like Thanksgiving. I do, too. I do, too. Uh, so here's out of Pathios. Uh, this blog this week for Halloween, and we thought we'd read this just to get you set kind of in the in, in a good mindset for Halloween. It says, Christians shouldn't just celebrate Halloween. They should be the life of the party. So this is written by Jack Lee, uh, and he talks about how his background is not necessarily uh, one that's, uh, that joins in in the party. And he says, for many, the holiday season brings out the worst. Some Christians can be outright insufferable this time of year. And it always goes back to this conversation about, well, Halloween is pagan. It is. It is evil. Uh, it is all of this stuff. And he says this because the roots that might be true. 
But he says, if you boycott Halloween or plan to spend the evening holed up in some church function, I urge you to reconsider. He says, think about it. Halloween is one day a year when all your neighbors will gladly open their doors to you or vice versa. Yeah. It's a tremendous opportunity to talk, invest, and get to know them. For a culture that prides itself on the power and strength of the individual, Halloween is truly an anomaly. No other holiday has such a focus on community involvement. Even Christmas, for all its wondrous joy, tends to be an inclusive, family-centric event. Not to mention, when Halloween is celebrated tastefully, it can be great fun. He says, one objection I can already hear brewing is that while you may desire to celebrate tastefully, your neighbors do not. There is concern in exposing yourself or your children to the evil, dark imagery of Halloween. And he writes, this is an evil. Uh, this is an evil. This is a valid concern and one worth praying about about. Uh, and he keeps going. He says, as much as I would like to shield my children and myself from the evils of this world, I will never be able to perfectly do it. I can limit exposure, but I cannot create uh, immunity. My hope here is not to alter your conscience, but rather to give you food for thought as to how Christians can redeem Halloween. So there's a lot there. And on the show, we talk a lot about living on mission, being missional. Uh, how do you and kind of when you talk to other Christians, whether it be in your church or in your friend circle, how do you approach uh, Halloween and kind of what's coming? I mean, I resonate with almost everything he's saying. It's it's a tremendous opportunity for me. I'm, I, there's, I'm just too much of an evangelist mm. not to at least participate in some capacity, like the opportunity to to make these connections with the people in my neighborhood. Um, now, obviously, I think that there are ways that you can take it too far. Like yeah. I think that that's true of any holiday, but I like what he says here. He says, to be fair, Halloween and Christmas do have pagan influence and are commercially driven money-making machines, but this is hardly unique. Like the brand of clothes you're wearing, if you were to seek it out, would yield unchristian roots and values held by its designers and manufacturers. Yet, we can wear slash promote them with little consideration of their maker's values. I think the same can be true of holidays. It's entirely possible and maybe even wise to utilize what is helpful and do away with what's not. Mm. And while my close analogy is not perfect, the fact remains that outside of the institution of the church, there are few events, institutions, products, or celebrations not tainted by this broken world. Navigating through them with wisdom can be difficult, which I think is important to note. Halloween in particular is a dark reminder of the challenging dichotomy that permeates through throughout all of the Christian life, living in the world but not being a part of it, mm. which is, again, that's a verse that I often hear used when having any of these debates. And it's the same verse, it's the same argument that decades ago Christians would make about not listening to music with drums, right? Mm. There was a legitimate pervasive belief that drums were the devil's instrument and then it was about radar movies and then it was secular music. And then it was, you know, we talked earlier about alcohol. Like there's a lot of different ways that this can be applied. I think what he's calling Christians to is to at least consider the possibility of utilizing something that culture sort of handed you as an opportunity to, to use it to good, to redeem, redeem the thing in a way that is honoring to God. And, you know, you know, maybe is a helpful way for you to engage with the people that, you otherwise struggle to engage with. I, yeah. I think it's a well-written article. It is. How? What are you going to do tomorrow? I, I think you shared this a couple of days ago, but what does Halloween look like for you? You got little kids, so yeah. uh, maybe you'll go out. But Well, it, I mean, uh, depending on the weather, which yeah, is it's a big cold tomorrow. It's a big crapshoot, apparently. Um, I'm less interested in going door to door. What we were planning on doing is uh, projecting a movie on the garage. How fun. And then setting up the bonfire pit in the front yard. 
and we got a little popcorn machine and just kind of make it like an inviting place as parents, especially if it's going to be so cold to kind of have just a quick respite, maybe warm their hands, maybe have some s'more stuff out there. Like mm. I want people to, I want people to really, really see our house as like, Oh, that was like a very welcome surprise to the, yeah. I mean, I remember the, the whole dance of like, are they giving candy? Are they not? And I, you know, remember my parents being like, you know, again, there were so many of us, that was a really stressful event. Sometimes <laughs> I just want to be like a little respite for families. Like, Oh, this was, this was nice. Yeah. So that's a really cool way to think about it because some of you could be out there and be like, well, what am I supposed to do? Just walk up to my neighbor's house and ask in. No, you could be the house that's welcoming people in. Yeah. And right. Not even necessarily in your house, but like you said, in your driveway with a fire pit. Now, if it snows tomorrow, uh, that will be that will complicate matters. <laughs> yes, yes. But it does offer a much bigger question. And you you quoted the right verse right there about being uh, what does it look like to be in the world, sent into the world, right. but not be of the world. Uh, let me read how he closes his article. He says, as the people of God, we were never meant to hide from the culture. We're called to go into it and redeem it. Let me just pause there. What are ways you think that we actually through history and even now as the church hide from culture? What does that even look like? I think it's all the things I was just listing. I yeah. think it's the, uh, you know, we don't go to amusement parks. We don't listen to quote unquote secular music. We do not go to the movies. We do not. I think all of those things would fit. Yeah. In that category. He writes this Halloween. If your conscience allows, I encourage you to make the most of the holiday. Use it to build community and have fun. Christians ought to be the life of the party. Literally, if you don't have children to walk around the neighborhood or feel safe doing so, use the evening to serve the visitors that come to your house. You might be surprised at how just a little cup of warm apple cider and or a pleasant conversation will warm will warm someone's soul. Ooh, that's good. Get to know your neighbors, love them, and share with them the peace of Christ that surpasses all understanding. As churches, we often talk about we are to be in the world and in our neighborhoods, right? Uh, we talk at our church about being everyday missionaries, wherever you live, work, and play. Like, you are a sent person. Uh as we close up this one, what do you think makes that difficult to live out? Is it fear or is it just it's off my radar? I, I don't th- I mean, I think for some people, it probably is legitimate fear. Um, so I don't want to dismiss that. I think a lot of people, it is their legitimate theological conviction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think it does come down to intention. I think all of us are tired and overworked and stressed and our calendars are full. And often I think the idea of, you know, as pastors, we say this like it's normal like living on mission yes it's way different when you're a vocational minister there yes. is there is a, a real difficulty that i want to recognize and appreciate to to add what feels like more stuff to an already crazy schedule yes you know? exactly exactly so we wanted to give that we got the day before halloween you could be preparing tonight at the very least don't be the house that doesn't give out good candy <laughs> we'll be an example of not good candy uh, not candy. <laughs> Don't be the house that gives out the apple. No candy is probably better than bad candy. You think so? I think so. And now coming full circle from earlier, what would be that bad candy? <laughs> I mean, it'd be mounds or Twizzlers for me. Yeah. Uh, but there's a whole lot of other. Don't I? You know, broccoli. I had a family give me a little pouch of broccoli. No, they didn't. Uh huh. That never happened. You're not. Yeah, little pouches of veggies. I was infuriated. I would have thrown the back of the house. <laughs> yes. Yeah. No mounds. No almond joy. No almond joy. Nah. It was like a broccoli go, carrot mix. Go king size bar. Give something. Be the person who gives out two hey, or three. Brian, we're not. We're not all ballers, man. I know, it's true. It's true. Can you tell I love Halloween? I'm ready for tomorrow. I'm ready. We can tell. Anyway, this article is great at Pathios. Helps us think about how can we even use something like Halloween to connect with our neighbors. 
and be in the community, be the life of the party. Well, we hope you have a great Halloween tomorrow. Uh, you're listening to The Common Good here on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Back to the common good on AM 1160. Hope for your life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. Glad to have you join us today. Uh, Ian and I like to talk a lot, right? We're pastors. We do radio. We like to talk back and forth. I don't know if people like to listen a lot. I didn't yeah, say that right. for sure, but we like to talk. And uh, but but what we really like is to be able to have interesting people into the studio or on phone, but really in studio yeah. to be able to talk to. And we have one of those people right now. His name is Jeff Prosapio. Jeff, thank you for joining us today. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. So uh, tell us a little bit about yourself. So uh, my wife and I have been married for 30 years. Uh, we're actually coming up on 30 in February. Congratulations. Uh, right on. Uh, she's from Southern California, but we lived in Chicago and Naperville for the last 30 years. So technically, she's a Naperville-ian now, or Chicagoan <laughs> for sure. Yeah. And uh, uh, we have three boys. They're all uh, adults now. Uh, one is finishing medical school. One just finished his undergrad. And then wow. we still have one in college in in, uh, in Arizona at uh, Grand Canyon in Phoenix. And uh, and then we just, we just moved. We mm. just left Naperville after 30 years here and uh, uh, moved out to Denver. Uh, actually, a year ago on Friday. Wow. Man, yeah. oh, man. Sorry, I'm distracted by how good your voice sounds right now, and I forgot what I was going to say. Also a little self-conscious. Holy cow, yeah. I'm like trying to, like, how do I will my voice to be deeper? I don't think I can do that. All right, That's so awesome. one of the reasons, so the cards on the table, Jeff and I are good friends. We're in yep. a small group together. We you're, are. You're just one of my favorite people. He's also a drummer. You're a phenomenal musician. Um, oh, y- your journey, though, out of Naperville. Yeah has been so inspirational to me. And you even shared this in our small group, right? That, hey, Deb and I feel this stirring. We've been praying. We feel like God is calling us both to kind of this next season, right? which is something that I've so admired because I think so often, once you get into your you know, 50s, 60s, 70s, moving is just not an option. Mm-hmm. Like, nope, I'm settled. I'm secure. It's safe. It's predictable. Right. Can you talk to us a little bit more about like what that journey was like and why specifically you were like moving across the country? Right. So, yeah. Um, so I'm 53. And like I said, we, our, our boys are... Generally adults, they're you know sometimes man child. <laughs> generally, yeah, generally, generally adults by age at least. <laughs> and uh, and I was at a crossroads in my career. I'd been with the same company for twenty three years. Yeah, did some pretty amazing things with that company, and uh, stumbled on this kind of new opportunity after I left hmm. that company and started my own. And I was, wow. starting, I was doing some independent project work. I, I work in the real estate development world, and uh, I was doing some independent project work on my own, and met these guys out in Farmington, New Mexico who had started this nonprofit to solve poverty through enterprise. Mm -hmm. And so part of their value was, um, in in addition to their teaching uh, program and coaching and and basically shifting the perspective and sensibility of someone who's been in generational poverty, Mm. uh, they also taught on how to build wealth. And the, Mm. the real key to building wealth in the Western world is owning real estate. Right. So I started working with these guys as a consultant and really picked up a vision with them to form a real estate venture with these guys. Wow. That was affiliated with the nonprofit, but was fully a for-profit enterprise. Mm. And that's what Deb and I both thought, this mm. is this is it. This yeah. is this is uh, got God's fingerprints all over it. And we're going to uproot our life very comfortable in Naperville. Yeah. <laughs> and move out west and, and uh, give this thing a go. That's mm-hmm. wild. Did you and your wife... Uh, were you on track with each other the whole time, or was like one of you real excited and not? Like that seems right. like uh, like quite the conversation to have within a marriage. It is, it is, and um, 
my wife is amazing. Mm-hmm. Uh, she is she is probably one of the most relational people I know. Yeah, and, I, I agree. And, yeah, right. Right. <laughs> so like she gets lost in a conversation with someone as every, the whole world like just falls away <laughs> when she engages in, yeah, in conversation she's awesome. with somebody. Yeah, she is. So she, I think, knew better than I did what mm-hmm. the social cost of this move would be, mm-hmm. and and started really uh, struggling with that mm. as we were making the plans to do this. So so there was definitely some tension, some back and forth about that. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think we fought ever about it, but it was, it was definitely a source of uh, some, some uh, pretty intense conversation. Yeah, 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 I could see right, that. Right. So, and she was right. Like the social cost is right, huge. Right, exactly. Of making a move like this. It was, it, I, I had discounted it a little bit thinking, um, you know, probably a little too highly of myself and my ability <laughs> to make new friends. But, <laughs> yeah. So that, that's been, it's been a big struggle. Gotcha. So what, what has that been like then? I actually didn't realize until you were sharing at lunch that. It's been a year, right? Right. Did it look the way that you anticipated it would, or is it different, or somewhere in between? Yeah, so I, what I, um, again, discounted a little too much was just being so deeply entrenched into our uh, relationships at church, at CCC, a community, um, that that we haven't found, we haven't been able to replicate that. Right. And, and kind of get back in. So hmm. it's weird after being someplace for 30 years. Right, of course. To be the new guy that nobody knows. Right. Wow. Even, like... After service of uh, maybe two months ago, I finally went up to the guy that was leading worship that day, and they mm. actually did a community song at Red Rocks. No week. kidding. Yeah, no kidding. Wow. <laughs> and so I went up and said, "Hey, fantastic job!" You know, just basically, you know, gave him a little bit of had a boys for like, not as good as the original, but right. not yeah, as good yeah. as the original. I did a little differently. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, none of that. But uh, but what what struck me was how. T- uh, like his relation, the way he was relating to me was a little mm. like kind of deer in the headlights a little bit. No Like kidding. I was just this weird little kind of groupy guy. And, Interesting. And he's got a white beard. So like, how cool can he be? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's fascinating. That's really interesting. So I did end up dropping the community. You know, I said, I, I actually drummed a community. So, and I, and then he kind of warmed up and said, oh yeah, Lucas. Oh, oh, I know interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I, I do a little name dropping. He, he warmed up because he heard he's a drummer. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah we need drummers. We need what one church of those. doesn't need drummers, exactly. right? <laughs> exactly. I'm wondering uh-huh. if uh, people are out there who are thinking about moving, maybe for work or right. just a change of mm-hmm. life. What's some advice you would give them? How do you even have that conversation within a marriage? How do you process That's that? Good. Do you take a long time? What could you just tell people out there? It does take a long time. Yeah. I, you know, it was uh, this was probably a, a, over a year in the making for us mm. before we actually did it, and then when we decided to do it, it all happened very quickly. Mm. Um, gosh, advice. Mm-hmm. So, you know, for us. This move was was very much uh, spirit led. Mm. You know, I think we were following what we thought at the time was you know real directions for us to go out there. And I still I still believe we're out there for a reason. Right. So, little little backstory there. The the thing I went out to do has not worked out yet. Oh. I, I still think it will, but th- um, there you know it just it's it's not as far along as I thought it was. Right. And uh, it you know it's it's not happening yet. Yeah, yeah. So we're kind of pushing the envelope on on time that I can wait for it to turn out and so I'll be I'm doing some other things out there. So mm-hmm. so that part of it feels like I was telling with, I was sharing with Ian I don't I no longer tell people that I was that I went to Denver for this opportunity. I tell people I don't know why I'm here. So we're probably how a lot of people feel to be honest. Right. Uh, and, yeah, and so so we're still working that part out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um yeah, it, as far as advice goes, gosh the collaboration part of it was important. I think, mm-hmm. you know, understanding what each of us were looking forward to in this next thing yeah. and, and talking about those pieces mm-hmm. of the adventure were, I think, were key. Because it, it helped us at least shape some 
something to look forward to, some right. some, some expectation whether mm. they were fulfilled or not. You know, the, at least. You know, they say that that's that's the endorphins that trigger in your mind. That's right. Like when you're planning the vacation versus actually going on the vacation. Uh, yes. So, so talk about it a lot. And right. We did, and we planned, and and we kind of imagined our life there hmm. in in Denver before we got there. Yeah. See, this is what I so appreciate about you, among so many other things. The fact what you were just saying, how hey, the thing that we went out there to do hasn't panned out yet, but we still have confidence that we're there for a reason. Right. I find that so inspiring because I feel like to Brian's question, there are plenty of people who haven't made the move yet that are trying to discern. But I imagine there are other people who did make the move and they're looking at their lives saying, oh, this was not what I pictured at all. Like you're a little in that space right now. Yeah, definitely. Can you speak a little bit more to that? What's that like spiritually, cognitively to be like, okay, my wife also heard the same stuff. We we uprooted everything, 30 years of the same church, same community, same neighborhood. And now this doesn't look the way that we thought that Mm. it would. What would you say to someone who's listening thinking, oh, that describes my life. That's not how I thought this would look at all. So that for us, that showed up more in um, in the unfamiliar. Yeah. So mm-hmm. so you know where you know Chicago's got a great food scene. I'm kind of a foodie, <laughs> right? Finding a good place to eat around us has been challenging. Wow, and that sounds trivial, yeah. but that just gets to you. After yes, a while. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> right. I totally so I mean, get it. The, the good the good part of that is we cook a lot at home now. There you go. Nice. So that that's turned up you know something that was just weird and uncomfortable into into something that actually turned out good. Mm. Um, yeah. So, and, and it really that 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 unease just yeah. shows up in everyday mm. in everyday life. Mm. In you know, kind of waking up and it's a beautiful place we live. I mean, just gorgeous views every, every almost every direction. You, know, you drive down the street and there's the Rocky Mountains right yeah, there. Yeah, it's un- amazing. It's, it's unbelievable. Mm. And it's it's almost like a pinch me moment every time I leave the house. Really. But yet there's still these little things that say, I you know I don't yet belong here. This mm. is not this is not my place yet. Mm. <laughs> This, you know, when I come home for this, I came home for this trip. If this still feels like home, oh, you, you were just saying coming home, yes, right? Exactly, yeah, I, I get right. that. Just a yeah. little slip. <laughs> well, Jeff, that's really helpful. I'm sure there's a lot of people out there going through some of the same stuff, not how life was, thought it was going to be, right? Or thinking right. about major moves. We really appreciate you being here. I wish we had more time. We'd be asking you uh, Ian stories, but we'll have to do that. <laughs> uh, look at the time. Uh, <laughs> we'll have to do that another time. So this is Jeff Prosapio in studio with us. Thanks so much for joining us today. We appreciate it. Yeah, Thank I love you, you brother. Thanks, yep. man. Well, you're listening to the Common Good on AIM 1160. Hope for your life. Here's some weird stuff we found on the internet. <clears throat> Here's some more weird stuff we found on the web. Welcome back to The Common Good on AM 1160, Hope for Your Life. Alongside Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. It is that time of the show. Mm-hmm. Time to end the show with interweb insanity. Crazy stories <laughs> our producers have found on the internet and uh, with sight unseen. And we were just telling, Jeff uh, Prosapio was just here, mm-hmm. and we were telling him about here. it. Yeah. Well, that's what that was, I was building oh, up to that. Right. Right. I was Never building mind. up to that. Please continue. He was, uh, <laughs> he was here in the studio, and then we told him about this, and we said, why don't you stay and read one with us? So... Uh, he is going to join us here for the Interweb Insanity. So, Jeff, thank you for staying. Sounds fun. Thank yep. you. Ian's going to go first. Let's go ahead. Quick caveat. PJ, producer John, just said, well, one of them is, you know what, never mind. So I'm <laughs> we'll hoping this out. isn't the one. Uh, California, America's left wing. It's <laughs> <laughs> not as good as America's high five. That's yes. pretty good. Uh, missing woman saved after spelling SOS in rocks in Sequa National Park. Sequoia. What did I say? Sequa. Jeez Louise Simpkins. <laughs> boy, oh boy. I'm going too fast. A, what's that word? Mississippi? Here you go. <laughs> Woman missing in Sequoia National Park was found safe Monday after a rescuer spotted an SOS spelled out in rocks. The SOS was nearly four miles from where Rangers found Mary Joanna Gomez's car in the Little Baldy. I'm sorry. Yep. 
That's true. Little Baldy region. I Little guess. Baldy? Sure. Yeah. Oh boy, I gotta get out more. Really Sunday. I think it's a big baldy too. <laughs> Is it really? I think so. Stop it. And a moderately baldy. I feel so homeschooled right now. And that bullet porridge was just right. Rescue teams combed the area for fifty-six-year-old, but uh, for the fifty-six-year-old, but did not have much to go on until the SOS was spotted by a C-130 plane. The rocks were seen about three and a half miles from the nearest trail. Gomez was found in steep terrain. Rangers said. No phone. No light. No motor car. Not a single luxury. <laughs> Like Robinson yeah, I should have expected that. That's good. That's good. All right, Jeff, you're up. Here you go. A All guest, right. a guest reader on this. Oh, We're boy. excited. All right, Dateline, Florida. <laughs> Bear saunters into garage, eats Cool Whip and sausage. I love how you said Cool Whip. <laughs> so good. <laughs> a Longwood family said an unexpected house guest walked into their garage and ate Cool Whip and sausage over the weekend. <laughs> Pamela Boudram said she filmed the video above. Wait, wait. She filmed the video above on Sunday at her home in Wikika Cove neighborhood in Longwood. <laughs> the bear was in the family's garage where it found some snacks in the freezer. Hmm. Rodham said her normally closed garage door was open because her husband was in and out uh, in and out of it, working on a project. Mm. Of course, it's the husband's fault. It's the husband's fault, yeah. More of the story. in there, right? <laughs> <laughs> this idiot's fault. She said she heard a commotion from the garage and the bathroom in and the bathroom in her own Mm, yeah, that's, that's a weird sentence. on her own at the same time. Okay. <laughs> Knowing her husband was in the bathroom working, he was in the bathroom working. <laughs> she went to the garage and slowly opened it. That's when she spotted the bear, helping itself to the contents of a freezer. Oh, boy. Unsure about what to do, Bodrum called the police department, who showed up and ran sirens to get the bear to leave. The bear slowly began to walk around the back of the home and disappeared into some bushes. Hey, boo-boo, let's see what we got in this picnic basket. There it is. That was the best any of these readings have that ever sounded, really by the way. That was really good. Next one, we're going back to Florida. Man accused of throwing nunchucks through car window at traffic light. Oh, boy. Leonardo Fernandez has been charged with throwing a deadly missile into an occupied vehicle, criminal mischief, and violation of probation. Investigators said Fernandez is accused of getting out of his car and throwing a pair of nunchucks at the victim's car while stopped at a traffic light. Deputies said nunchucks shattered the victim's rear window. The victim thought he was texting and driving, according uh, to investigators. That's why he confronted Fernandez. Fernandez exited his vehicle with nunchucks and threw them through the window. I know kung fu. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, You want to get another one a a shot? Oh, sure. All right, let's do it. There you go. All right. And you don't have to read the whole thing if you don't want to. You can bail on it at any point. All right. Okay. Duly noted. (laughs) South Carolina. South Carolina, a man cites fear of zombies as stabbing motive. Sure. Oh, boy. Hmm. A South Carolina man. (laughs) Wow, it's hard to say. A South Carolina man arrested for stabbing a woman says he feared she would feed him to zombies. Oh, boy. The Aiken Standard report. Reports the oh the Aiken Standard must be a yeah, newspaper. Yeah. <laughs> Aiken Standard reports twenty nine year old William Barry of Aiken was arrested Saturday in Moneta after a woman was stabbed multiple times in the back. Jeez mm. Louise! Mm. Sheriff's Department later found Barry walking along the highway and arrested him under questioning. Uh, uh, arrested him under questioning. Barry told deputies he poked someone, <laughs> but mm, she was trying to feed him to zombies and being mean to him. Mm. Apparently with her back turned. <laughs> <laughs> The woman, an acquaintance of Barry's, was taken to the hospital with five or six stab wounds. Oh, no. Barry is charged with, with attempted murder and possession of a weapon during a violent crime. No bail has been set, and Barry remains jailed Monday in Aiken County. It's unclear if he has a lawyer. They're he coming to get you, Barbara. 
<laughs> oh, no. I'm glad we gave you the stabbing one. That, that is good. good. That, that is fair. good. All right, you want the last one? Is this me? Yep. All right, Maryland, or Maryland, as no nobody, one says. Uh, yeah, man hurt in golf cart crash at nudist resort. Of course, I would get this one. <laughs> A man was hurt this weekend in a golf cart crash at a nudist resort in Anne Arundel County, Maryland. The man crashed into a tree Saturday afternoon in the Maryland Health Society, the Capital Gazette reported. The group is the oldest nonprofit clothing optional health resort mm. and campground in the country. Can you say family vacation? <laughs> the man suffered serious but not life-threatening injuries after crashing into a tree, causing the golf cart to overturn, the Anne Arundel County Fire Department said. He called 911 from a building at the nudist resort where he was either staying or visiting. <laughs> he was not wearing a helmet at the time. Why Feels like I'm wearing nothing at all. <laughs> I don't know that it ends letting us know like he was so He's, nude he wasn't even wearing yep, a helmet. Right. Yep. Just so everyone's clear. I don't even like camping with lots of clothes on nudist camping. <laughs> Come on now. That yeah, that crazy. sounds no bueno. Jeff, thank you for joining us. Job, well by the way. My pleasure, guys. My Thanks goodness. for having me. Well done. This has been The Common Good. Join us again tomorrow from 4 to 6. For Ian Simpkins, my name is Brian Fromm. You've been listening to The Common Good, AM 1160. Hope for your life. Where two or more gathered.